Sometimes Christmas feels like a part-time job instead of a holiday. When did all the noise drown out the season? When did this become just one more thing we have to get through? I just wish I could press pause and actually experience Christmas. I want to be able to take my time and enjoy the season for once. I want to remember how it made me feel when I was little. I want Christmas to feel important, to remember what really matters. I feel like I've forgotten what all this means, and I want to pause to prepare my heart to reflect. I want to pause and remember that Christmas changed everything. Well, hello. My name is Joshua Walters. I'm the campus pastor here at the Mount Pleasant campus, one of the teaching pastors here at Seacoast, and we are so glad that you're here to worship with us this weekend. I want to welcome you if you're joining us online or in one of the venues or at an off-site campus. I actually talked with a guy last week who attended church online via his cell phone while on a tram at Disney, uh, probably one of the more expensive worship uh, opportunities, but... Needless to say, wherever you are, we are glad that you're here to join us this weekend. I want to take a break from, from kind of the intro to the message just to tell you a little bit about my morning. I think some of you think that pastors get up here and they have a word to share and they're kind of good communicators and it all just flows well and it's all rainbows and daisies, but it's just not the case. I woke up about three o'clock this morning feeling like there was a ton of bricks on my chest. You know, All I could think about was this moment and I was not going back to sleep. I was saying, God, just 30 more minutes. That would be great. Just a few more minutes of sleep would be wonderful. Just thinking about the message. So finally, about 5.45, I got up out of bed and decided, well, I'm just going to go in and walk the worship center and pray and read through my notes and get ready. And so I got up, got dressed, came in. On the way in, I picked up a, a, a nice-sized bolt right in the side of the, the tire on the drive-in. So boom, 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 you know, driving in. So I, I fill it up with just enough air to get in the parking lot. Upon which I get out of the car, I grab my dress shirt, and as I'm doing that, I accidentally drop it in a puddle in the rain. And so I, I bend over to pick it up, and then I spill my coffee on it. And so <laughs> at that point, there's no, uh, there's no going back. So I just want to encourage you. You know, I wanted to say it could only get worse. You know, it could only get better from here. Uh, but I realized I still had a message to preach. And so I don't know what's going to happen over the next 45 minutes, but I'm excited. I really am to be here with you. Well, listen, can you believe it's already December? It is so wild. With Black Friday, Thanksgiving, Small Business Saturday, uh, Cyber Monday, Terrific Tuesday, you know, all of that behind us, we are well on our way to Christmas, and I could not be more excited. It really is uh, the most wonderful time of the year. It's my favorite time of the year. All over town, you see Christmas trees strapped to the tops of cars, people picking them up, putting lights up on their houses. I actually saw two houses that were across the street from one another. I don't know that it was a formal competition, uh, but, but there was something going on, and they actually suspended a cable uh, connecting the top of their houses and hung lights from it. I'm thinking, man, we can be tight without our trim touching, but whatever... You know, to each, to each his own. It's kind of the one time of year where you have a license to be tacky and try the things you always wanted to but couldn't get away with. There's inflatables in people's yards. I've seen massive 10-foot candy canes with happy holiday, you know, inflatables, huge snow globes blowing around, styrofoam snow. I've seen a few flamingos pulling Santa's sleigh, and that's just in my yard. You know, there's all kind of awesome Christmas decorations all over the place. 
Then there's a number of different parties and celebrations. I think just about every small group and cul-de-sac and social gathering has some kind of potluck or gift exchange of some kind that whether out of obligation or responsibility you feel some need to be a part of. Then there's the preparing and celebrating for our families, buying gifts for your spouse or your parents or your children, and you better have been attentive, asking clarifying questions about the sizes and the colors, exactly what the need was. Dudes, don't show up on Thanksgiving or on Christmas morning with no vacuum cleaner or pots and pans talking about, I was just trying to be a good steward of our, of our money and what we needed because you're going to be a good steward of the couch <laughs> if you don't show up with something. You still have time to prepare. So we finally get to Christmas morning, we wake up, we open our gifts, it's awesome, we get dressed. Many of us will then go to loved ones' houses and do it all over again, open some more gifts, share a meal, just in time to load the car back up, head home, upon which we'll take down the lights, deflate the inflatables, put away the gifts, take back some gifts that didn't fit, store some gifts that we want to re-gift later in the year, Hide some of the kids' gifts because they got way too many upon which you give them back to them on their birthdays. Come on, that's a good idea. (laughs) By the time all of that is done, we have just enough time to prepare for New Year's upon which we'll all go somewhere and stay up way too late, including the kids. And just after ringing in the New Year, we'll praise God that the holidays are over. That we can go back to 10 or 11 months with some semblance of routine with the same glee and excitement that we praised him that the holidays were finally here. Or maybe that's just my life. Can anyone identify with the crazy cycle? Yes, it is wild. It is fun. It's fun. It really is the most wonderful time of the year. As believers, it's our time of the year. Everywhere that we go from the grocery store to the Gap is playing music about our Savior Every cultural icon from Justin Bieber to Blake Shelton has used their gift to engage their fan base all the while singing songs about our Savior. There seems to be some semblance of alignment across all of God's creation pointing towards His coming. However, I don't think that there's been a year where I haven't finished the season feeling like I needed a vacation, even though I've been on vacation. (laughs) There's so much to do, so many presents to buy, so many people to celebrate with. It's easy for us to get wrapped up in the expectations of others and the busyness of the season, and for us to lose sight of the purpose of what all the parties and celebrations are actually about. See, the question that we have to ask is, are the holidays just going to pass me by, or am I going to experience them on purpose? What is the purpose behind all the parties and presents and celebrations, and how can I really stay focused on that? See, there's probably a bunch of different answers to those questions, but the one that we're going to focus on over the course of the next few weeks is through our willingness to pause, our willingness to initiate a break in the crazy cycle. You know, it's it's in the pauses where we actually find life and, and power and breakthrough. It's in the pauses where the information that we've, we've heard and absorbed uh, actually becomes personal. I have a picture of me and my best friend in fifth or sixth grade standing on a, a stool in his room up against a hutch that we could barely reach the top of with a tape player and one of our, our favorite albums uh, from a, a group called Crisscross. How many of you have ever heard of, of Crisscross? That really blesses my heart. I'm excited. I thought this was going to be a lot more embarrassing than it'll actually be. Uh, had just come out with a new album, and we had the tape. This was before lyrics were actually printed on the inside of the little, little flap there. And, and we would push play and listen to it and then push pause and write down what we had just heard so we could try to learn the words. And it was working really well until they said, wiggity, 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 whack. And so, uh, but... 
we would play, pause, play, pause. One of our favorite songs on that album was a song called Jump, and it started like this. It said, don't try to compare us to another bad little fad on the mic, because I'm rad, bringing something that you never had. I'll make you jump, jump, wiggle, and shake your rump. I'll stop right there. But to make the point, (laughs) to make the point, we would listen to this song over and over and over, push, play, push, pause, you know, push, play, push, pause, so we could write down what we had heard and internalize the information. You know, it's the reason that we as parents often put our kids in timeout. You know, they, they do something that you know they're just not supposed to do. And to stop the pace of the runaround and wildness, you sit them down to pause to think about their behavior and why it was wrong. You know, it's the reason that, that coaches call timeouts in sporting events, in basketball or in football, to break the, the pace of the game long enough that they could come up with a plan that they could execute on. Pauses were very important all throughout Scripture. In fact, in the book of Psalms, the word selah is used several times, S-E-L-A-H, and the author would intentionally put it in places where he wanted us as the reader to pause when we came upon it. One of which is in Psalm 85 too. It says this, You forgave the inequity of your people and covered all of their sins, selah. He's saying, whoa, don't go on to verse 3 quite yet. Did you hear what was said? If you'll process that, if you'll orient your life around that verse, man, it would change everything. He covered your sins. No longer do you have to carry the weight of your guilt, the weight of your shame. You've been forgiven. It's an easy verse to just read over, but man, if you'll pause right there, think about the implications of that verse for your life. It'll change everything. So this week we're going to kick off a new series that will be in for the next four weeks called Pause, where we're going to be looking at a number of different things that we can do to experience the power and presence of God this Christmas, each of which will only happen through our willingness to pause, to initiate a break in the crazy cycle. Today we're going to be looking at pausing to prepare, pausing to prepare. Before we get started, let me pray for us. God, we thank you so much, uh, God, for this weekend. We're thankful for... uh, the circumstances that led up to us getting here this morning, uh, flat tires and dropped shirts and spilled coffee and arguments and rain. God, whatever, whatever the ride here and the morning getting here uh, held, Father, we acknowledge that your word says our, our battle is not against uh, flesh and blood, but spiritual forces of evil and heavenly realms. And the enemy would love nothing more this morning than for us to be distracted, uh, for us to lose focus, for us to turn our eyes on circumstances or anything other than you. So God, we just invite you into the house, into our hearts now, online, at our campuses, wherever we happen to be. We ask God that you would help us uh, to be attentive to you, that your spirit would speak and move mightily this morning and use me. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So what was the last thing that you had to prepare for? The last thing that you had to prepare for, some of you might be thinking, man, I would like to have the time to prepare for anything. You know, it's the grace of God to schedule a babysitter for a date night, much less come up with a plan of what we're going to actually do. You know, as a pastor, I I officiate a a fair number of weddings, and part of that process is premarital counseling. And with every couple that I meet with, uh, I'm reminded of the incredible amount of preparation that goes into that day. You have to pause life as usual uh, to really lead up to it. You've got to visit venues. Where is it going to happen? To pick out a dress, to pick out a tux. You've got to go and taste different kinds of, of wedding cakes, meet with caterers, reach out to every person that you care about to get their most up-to-date mailing address so that you can extend or mail them an invitation. Uh, some of you might be on some type of LGN plan of, of some kind to prepare for the big day. Have you heard of those, LGN? Looking good naked. It's an important plan. <laughs> It's a a self-prescribed workout plan. You don't want to recommend it to your spouse. 
Um, but if you're getting married or have been, you might want to consider, consider one of those. Whatever the case, <laughs> leading up to the day, we're not going to get over that, are we? <laughs> leading, up to, leading up to the day, you have to push pause on some important areas of your life to prioritize what's the most important in that season, to really prepare. Or maybe you, you've taken on a new job and your learning curve is just pretty incredible. They've given you a lot of content to, to have just the knowledge base to do the job, but to also learn their processes and procedures and get familiar with the company. And you have to push pause on some other areas to really prepare for it. You know, whatever the case, uh, preparing for things in our lives requires that we initiate a pause in all the others, or maybe even stop some areas so that we can focus on what matters most in that particular season. Earlier this year, Katie and I moved into a new house, and we had, we had talked about moving uh, for a while, but had decided we were comfortable where we were, uh, that is, until we had our fifth child, and uh, he spent the first year of his life living in a pack-and-play in the downstairs bathroom, because there was no more room at the end. Uh, you, <laughs> you laugh, but I'm serious. That really happened, and so one day, I came home from work. I was out of the house, you know, most of the day, so I didn't feel the walls you know, kind of closing in on us. So uh, I came home one day and Katie let me know that she and the kids were going to be moving and that um, they would love for me to come with them, that this would be a great opportunity for me to start looking for houses. And so reached out to a realtor friend and kind of communicated the urgency of the, uh, of the search. And so we, uh, we finally found a house that was, you know, about the size we needed. It fit within our budget. And the only downside to this particular house is that it needed a ton of work. I'll never forget the first time that we walked through it. Uh, Katie spent the majority of the time holding her nose. Uh, there was mold in the house and mildew, a lot of rot, just tons of work to be done. Uh, our realtor kind of lovingly said, hey, well, let's, let's keep looking. You know, this was, a, this was an opportunity, you know. And uh, we get back in the car, and I'll never forget, Katie actually cried some uh, to, to hear that I was excited about it and saw potential in the house. And so I had always worked on houses that we had lived in, um, you know, done flooring, windows, doors, whatever, small jobs here and there, but I had never done all of them in, in one house. And so uh, usually if Katie and I were at home watching a movie one night and we just decided we were sick and tired of the pink carpet in our house, we would start ripping it up while we watched the movie and, uh, you know, rock some subfloor for a while until we found some flooring that we liked. But, but this house was different. As I actually made a step to purchase it, the lender gave me a spreadsheet uh, that broke our home down into 32 categories, each of which had to be looked at by an inspector, and I had to get an estimate from a contractor as to exactly how much it would, how much it would cost us uh, to fix the house for all 32 of those categories. I'm telling you, it was a degree of preparation that was foreign to me, really just frustrating. I was so ready to get started. We would stop by the house and I would be so eager to rip some sheetrock down to see what was behind the stains on the wall, you know, or pull the mold out hoping it would resolve the smell. But the process that the lender had me walk through uh, ensured that we were prepared. It ensured that we finished well and that we were good stewards of our time and our money. Well, in the same way, if we're going to script a different story, if we're going to experience a different outcome to this Christmas season than just praising God that the crazy cycle is over, then we're going to have to be willing to pause and prepare, maybe to a degree that's foreign to us or, or to, to a degree that we would be uncomfortable with. So what does that mean? What do we prepare for? Prepare for the parties that we're hosting? Yes, you're probably going to want to do that. Prepare for Christmas morning, you'll definitely want to do that. I dare you not to. If you don't, I would love to hear about it. And I hope you're prepared to hear about it for the rest of the year. You know, you're going to want to prepare for that. 
That said, the most important pause that you could initiate, the most important thing that you could prepare for is preparing your heart for the Lord, that you might truly experience the purpose behind all the chaos. See, the reality is that distraction and busyness have always been a part of the enemy's plan, causing us to delay or really miss out on all that God has for us. So much so that when God decided that he was going to send his son to put on flesh, to become one of us, and die on the cross for our sins, he knew that he was going to have to send someone before him, someone ahead of him who would serve as a forerunner. Otherwise, there was a good chance that we would miss it. Even then, we were a people who were distracted. Well, the man that he sent was a man named John, and he's mentioned all throughout Scripture, but one of the passages uh, that we'll talk about today is referenced there at the top of your outline sheets, and it comes from Luke 1, 17. It says, It is he who will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous so as to make ready a people who are prepared for the Lord. He was tasked to make ready a people who were prepared for the Lord. You know, those two words, readiness and preparation, really go hand in hand. We, we get ready so that we will be prepared, and we're prepared because we've gone through uh, the discipline of getting ready. See, God wanted his children to be primed for his presence. He wanted to be, them to be looking for the right things. They were faced with incredible opportunity, much like ours this Christmas, to not just be reminded of the story, but to really be changed Uh, to be rescued by encountering the Savior, and he did not want them to miss it. What if our lives were actually much more like theirs than we think? What if it was possible for us to attend the services and sing the songs, uh, decorate the tree, participate in the celebrations, take part in, in every event of the season, yet in hearing and telling the story, it would land on our spirits in a way that's almost stale, that it wouldn't move us. If we fail to pause to prepare our hearts. We can prepare for all the parties and presents and celebrations and and be ready for every other attribute of this season. But if we fail to pause and really prepare our hearts, there's a good chance that we're going to miss out on all that God has for us. You know, as I think back on our, our house renovation and the amount of work that went into us really being prepared for that project, there's a lot of lessons that I learned on preparation that are really applicable in each of us as Christ followers preparing our hearts for Christmas that also kind of parallel John's coming. So today I want to talk about uh, three lessons on preparation from a home renovation. So uh, the first of which is there on your outline sheets, and it's this. Finding the source of the smell might require a specialist. Finding the source of the smell might require a specialist. You could have been offered any amount of money to guess what was on your outline sheets today, and you probably wouldn't have guessed that one. Now, for some of you ladies, you live in the house with a man, and without the help from a specialist, you could identify the source of the smell. (laughs) We don't need to go into any more on that, but you know uh, very well what it is. When Katie and I first walked through the house, man, it smelled awful. It had been vacant for years. Windows had been left cracked. There were holes in the roof where water had come in and pulled on the sheetrock and created mold. And as our inspector walked through, he was pointing out like just slightly discolored marks that there was mold behind that. I was like, man, how do you know that? You know, what's, what's the deal? Then he started talking about airborne spores and airborne particles. And I'm thinking, man, what? You know, <laughs> he's, he's walking through here and I'm like, we need a mask or something then, don't we? You know, what's, what's the deal? But Either way, I knew that because of the condition of the home, we needed someone with an additional certification, a different perspective that could help us not only identify the problem, but lay out a plan for treatment. Finding the source of the smell required a specialist. 
Well, see, the same was true for the children of God in John's coming. He had come to a people who had oriented their lives around the coming of their king. They had attended all the, all the church services, participated in the fast, celebrated the feasts and festivals. They told stories, memorized the commandments, held to a Sabbath. They were a people that had participated in all the rituals and routine of their religion. Yet when it was time for their king to come, they would have missed it entirely had God not sent someone to prepare them for them. See, he could have done this in any number of ways, but he chose to send a man with a message, a unique man with a different personality, a man that he positioned out in the wilderness so as to call people out of their everyday lives into a unique experience, a unique opportunity. Scripture tells us that, that he would come as the forerunner to Jesus, not as the Toyota okay, or the Transformer, but the person who would come before. I was talking with several folks of our staff this week about this passage. It's just the idea of having a forerunner in general um, was just intriguing to me. I was like, man, who has a forerunner? And I hadn't quite unpacked the context. And they kind of looked at each other like, I, I've, got, I've got a forerunner. You know, like, no, not a car, man. I'm talking about a person that goes before somebody. This passage, that word literally means a person who would come before, but it also means uh, that they would have a sense of urgency. John was communicating that, that he's on my heels. He's going to be here soon. That passage also tells us that he would come in the spirit and power of Elijah. What does that mean? Well, Elijah uh, is really a hero of our faith. We read stories about him in the Old Testament where when he was hungry, God fed him by ravens. There's one story in 1 Kings 18 where he stood against 400 prophets of Baal and they cried out to God to consume their offerings by fire and God showed up for Elijah in a mighty way. Another passage in 1 Kings, I believe 22, Elijah is taken up to heaven in a whirlwind. It's almost like God said, I have got to be with this guy and you know, just, just pulled him up out of there. The people knew that there was a God in Israel because of the way that he responded to Elijah. And in this same anointing, this same power, uh, rested on the life of John the Baptist. I thought about reading you some passages that would describe the man, what he looked like, the way he dressed, the message uh, that he came preaching. But then I got to thinking, man, wouldn't it be great if he could join us here this weekend? And so I made a few calls, and it actually turns out that he was available to come and, and be with us. We've never really done anything like this before. I'm excited about it, but I couldn't help but think how the invitation that he extended to the children of God might have been heard. I am the voice of one calling from the wilderness, preparing the way for the Lord. I have been sent by God to turn the hearts of parents back to their children, to turn the disobedient to the wisdom of righteousness, to prepare a people for the coming Lord, to level the hills, fill the valleys, make the crooked path straight, and God's salvation, yes, God's salvation will be revealed to all. I'm just a man. I'm not the light. I come only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man, woman, and child is coming into the world. The one who comes after me, he's infinitely more powerful. The straps of whose sandals I'm not even worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize with water for the repentance of sin. But, the, but among you stands one you do not yet know. He will baptize with the Holy Spirit 
So repent. I said repent. Prepare your hearts. The kingdom of heaven is upon us. Prepare. Our Savior is near. Prepare your hearts. The kingdom of heaven is here. See, as we see John, he kind of fits the generic mold for what we would imagine uh, a biblical character looking like. But even in those days, the Bible tells us that he came clothed in camel hair. That his, his, his diet consisted of locusts and wild honey. I don't know if you've ever seen Fear Factor, but I could be all with his passage or his message and his passion until he bites off the head of a locust. And I'm like, dude, that's just gross. You know, like, I can't stick with you. He came with conviction, with a sense of urgency, calling people out of their everyday lives and extending to them an invitation, an opportunity to experience something much greater than they would have imagined. The Bible tells us that he served as a forerunner, that his primary role was to prepare a people, to point them to the coming of their king. You see, in many ways, his role is very similar to our role as Christ followers. The way that he served as a specialist was that he knew that someone greater was coming. Someone had, that had the, the ability to, to breathe life, to give hope, to restore, to make all things new. And he didn't want them to miss it. You see, as believers, we're a people that are living in between times. Uh, where, where Jesus has come and he is returning. So the opportunity that we have this Christmas is not only to prepare our hearts, but as we're walking through stores, as we're driving in cars, as we're hearing songs about our Savior, we know that he's come. We know the life that we have in him. And we get to serve as a specialist in the lives of others by pointing them towards the life that they could have. See, the reality is not only is that a privilege that we have to serve as a specialist, to point people towards him that we might serve as a forerunner for Jesus, but we all need those people in our lives as well. Folks that can help us point out the things that we might be blind to. So how do we do that in our lives? How can we identify a specialist? How could we reveal the blind spots, the things that we might be missing? It could happen in one of two ways. The first of which is through the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 1, 21 through 22, which is up on the, on the screen, says it this way. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us. He set his seal of ownership on us and put his spirits in our hearts, guaranteeing, uh, what, guaranteeing what is to come. See, at the time of John's coming, the children of God did not have the Holy Spirit sealed inside of them. However, for us as believers, as we start to live out of a religion that's void of any relationship with God, as we start to live out of a, a routine of going through the motions, of reading the story, of showing up for the services, there's going to be a spirit of discontentment, a spirit of frustration inside of us that can serve as a cue for, man, something's not quite right here. I'm not living out of the relationship. I'm not experiencing the joy of, of walking with Christ. The second way that we're exposed to things that we can't see is through a specialist, through a friend. You know, we have blind spots that each of us have, have reasoned our way into. We've learned to, to live with and walk with limps that are, that are caused by life's wounds, and we need a specialist, a friend, someone who loves us but isn't all that impressed with us that can point out the behaviors, the blind spots, the attitudes, the sin issues that could help us really experience and walk in the abundant life that we have in Christ. See, our temptation is to surround ourselves with people that are like us, and that's good. There's nothing wrong with that. The only thing that you have to watch for is it's especially challenging for people who are like you, who are wired like you, or look like you, or talk like you, to have the boldness to point out the opportunities for you to grow. 
Uh, about eight months ago, I hired a new assistant uh, here at the church, and her name is Jen. This weekend is actually her, her last weekend when we hired her. She was on the front end of uh, adopting a little girl from China, an international adoption, and they told her it would be 12 to 18 months, and it's really exciting and terrifying that it only ended up being eight months. And so this weekend is her last weekend serving on staff with us. But uh, as we walk through the process of bringing her on board, uh, we kind of did this trimetrics survey with Butch Howard, a, a consultant here at the church, and kind of graphed me on paper how I'm wired the kind of leader and person I am, and on paper, she was totally different than me uh, because I knew to best serve me, to best serve our church, I've got to find somebody who's wired different than me. You know, She's going to see things from a perspective that I probably can't even coach her on, and man, she's done an incredible job. She's really sharpened me and served the house well. Well, for each of us in identifying a specialist and being that in the lives of other people, We have to be intentional about surrounding ourselves with people that see things from a different perspective, uh, that have a different sense of of passion or conviction or urgency or preference so that they can see things in us that we might not see, so that they can sharpen us, that we might walk in the fullness of life that we could have in Christ. See, in preparing our hearts for the Lord, we would do well to ask the Holy Spirit to search our hearts, to reveal those things to us, but then also to ask others what it is that they see someone who could point out where we might be missing out on the life that we could have. The second lesson on preparation from a home renovation there on your outline sheets is that knocking down a few walls is worth the time and the trouble. Knocking down a few walls is worth the time and the trouble. See, John's purpose in coming was to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. But if you look at verse 17 there, it kind of qualifies preparation for us in, in two ways. And the first way was to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children. Again, if you think back to the context of John's coming, the Jewish faith was largely built around the family. Their laws required them to take a Sabbath, uh, a moment in their week where they would, they would stop the busyness, the rush and pace of life to really delight in the word of God, to spend time with and love their families. Their festivals were purposed for the retelling of stories, for the building of faith, for the strengthening of family and identity. Yet somehow their hearts had become disengaged from their behavior. See, it's wild for me to contrast the difference in their culture and ours. Uh, It's crazy to think that they had the potential to be distracted, to miss the coming of their king when their world didn't hold any of the opportunities that ours does. There was no such thing as, as military deployment or third shifts or pilots or truck drivers or salesmen whose territories were the majority of a continent, you know. We have so many opportunities to be pulled out of the home for extended periods of time, none of which they had, yet they still were tempted to be disengaged from the relationships that mattered most. See, the enemy is patient and wise, and oftentimes the drift that we experience relationally doesn't necessarily come uh, from a wound. It's not something that was said or maybe something that went unsaid, something that was stolen or some way that we were abused or taken advantage of or talked to or treated. Oftentimes, the womb comes from misplaced time. See, the Bible tells us that where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. If we spend our time pursuing success or money or anything else for that matter, then we open up a door upon which the enemy could come in and build a wall, making it difficult to relate to the people that matter most. 
See, there's nothing wrong with jobs that keep us out of the home for extended periods of time, but it does mean that as Christ followers especially, we have to be all the more intentional, all the more focused on when and how we're going to invest in those relationships because at the end of the day, we are the only ones that are truly responsible for them, that are accountable for them. This is a constant battle for me. A few weeks ago, the Lord was dealing with me on the issue of, of busyness and distraction, and he did it by giving me a picture in my mind. Have you ever had one of those in prayer time or a service? The Lord kind of gives you a picture on the, on the screen in your mind. And it was a picture of me looking at me, which sounds like some kind of disorder. But it was I, was, I was a child looking up at me, but the image that I saw was, was me holding a phone. And I was smiling and, and talking to me, again, which is a little awkward, but I'm smiling, talking to me, looking at me periodically, pointing, laughing. At one point, you know, I'm kind of giving me a fist bump. And, and what I felt like I heard the Lord saying was, it doesn't matter uh, how positive the words that you're communicating are, uh, how, how engaged you feel like you are. If what they're seeing is you attentive to and focused on something else, then you're communicating. Whatever it is that I'm doing now is more important than being with you. And man, it was just a, uh, a painful picture you know, to see. Uh, and so I may, you know, it initiated a conversation with Katie of, man, I've only got so many hours a day that I'm actually home, uh, but I want to spend them engaged with the kids. I need you to help me do that. So, you know, it's still a challenge, but man, I, I don't want the picture they have of me uh, being one that's distracted so that in any way the enemy could come in and build a wall relationally between us. That's a simple one. You know, it, technology wall that I want to knock down. You know, I want to be able to fully connect and engage with them and then know they really matter to daddy. The two institutions established by God are the church and the family. See, realizing, uh, enemy realizing that he cannot stop the growth of the church, he comes after the family. It was created as the primary vehicle for discipleship, the primary environment to experience the, the unconditional and faithful and favored love of a father. We see this modeled for us in Mark 14, 36, when Jesus cried out to God. He said, Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. It's because of Christ's example and the gift of the Holy Spirit that we cry out to God in the same way. Romans eight fifteen says it this way. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by Him, we cry, Abba, Father. See, when Katie and I first moved into our house, uh, I saw a house with potential, not a house that we could move into. The flow didn't quite work well. There were walls where there shouldn't be walls, rooms that that weren't really functional. Uh, There was some work to do before my family could come in and live and move and be in that house. Well, in order for you to prepare your heart for the Lord, to prepare a place within you where he can live and move and be, you may need to do the hard work of knocking down some walls that have been built relationally. You know, maybe you've been, you've been wounded by something that was said or something that went unsaid or a way that you were treated. And it would be much easier for you to approach this Christmas season by purchasing some gifts and sharing a meal and maybe singing some of the songs. But, but what if you took a step in faith this Christmas and began just niching away at some of the, the walls that have been built, taking a step in faith, asking God that he would meet your effort and do an incredible work, that you would restore healthy relationship Uh, with the ones that you love, with the ones that matter most. The second thing that John had to do to make ready a people who were prepared for the Lord, and the last lesson on preparation from a home renovation there on your outlines is this. Getting things done has more to do with my attitude than my aptitude. 
Getting things done has more to do with my attitude than my aptitude. The latter part of verse 17 says, He came not only to turn the hearts of the fathers back to their children, but the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous. The disobedient to the attitude of the righteous. And I love that. That word disobedient there is the same word used throughout the New Testament for disbelief or unbelief. So he came to turn the disobedient, the unbelieving, the disbelieving to the attitude of the righteous. See there, he could have said the disobedient to the behavior of the righteous or the lifestyle of the righteous or the the wisdom of the righteous, but he didn't set a bar so high that the people couldn't reach. Remember, as a forerunner, he was communicating, there's a sense of urgency. Jesus is coming, as as in quickly. Take a step of faith, surrender your life to him, receive this baptism of faith. There wasn't time to to drop habits, to stop doing this with him or her, to, to move out, to get your life right. He gave them the opportunity to respond in faith. The opportunity to take a step in faith, to live, to have the attitude of the righteous. So what does that mean? Romans 3.10 tells us that no one is righteous, not even one. That on our own, we can't bring about right change, behavior modification, that none of us are righteous. Hebrews 10.38 tells us that the righteous shall live by faith. See, John was calling the children of God to take a step of faith. He had come as a divine interruption to their routine and religion and their practices that they, they had been so faithful to. And he invited them to take a step into relationship where they could experience the love of a father, where they would experience the power and presence of God through Jesus Christ. See, the beauty of the gospel is that it draws people home into a relationship with God and into a relationship with one another. That was the purpose of John's coming. If we're going to be a people who are prepared for the Lord, if we're going to have hearts that are primed for his presence, if we're going to get everything that he would have us get out of this holiday season, then we're going to have to be willing to to pause on the crazy cycle and really prepare for him. To be willing to dial in and engage on the relationships that matter most. To take a step of faith towards him, maybe for some of us for the first time. Maybe for some of us it's taking a step of faith, believing that he can do the impossible the limps, the struggles, the battles that you've walked with for the most of your life. It's going to mean taking a step of faith and giving those things over to him. You see, one of the things that I love most about Christmas, especially for us as Christ followers, is that we're not a people looking forward to a date on a calendar because he's already come once. We're not a people looking forward to a date on the calendar where we're going to look back on a date that, that happened once. We're a people who look forward to a date on the calendar Because it reminds us of something that happened that is a reality that we can live in today. You see, he did come. And because he came, he can meet me in my circumstances. He can meet me in my broken relationships. He can meet me in my lack of faith. Because when I am faithless, he is faithful. In my relationships that are broken, in the areas and wounds that have robbed me of the life that Christ came to offer. He has come today. And he can meet me here to give me hope that that not only could this Christmas season be different, but today can be different. So I I beg you, as you approach Christmas, man, there is a lot of exciting stuff that's going to happen in and among the people that you love most, a lot of traditions and, and parties and things to celebrate. And as you prepare for all of those, don't allow them to distract you. Don't allow the busyness to capture you, that you would fail to pause and really prepare your heart for the Lord. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much uh, for your son. We're thankful, God, for the divine interruption that he would come that we might have abundant life 
through him. We're thankful, God, for the gift uh, of his death on the cross, that even in our sin and our struggle, Father, that in you we might have life. God, I pray for all of those uh, who, who have heard this message, God, for, for walls that have been built relationally. God, I pray that through the power of your spirit, that this might be the Christmas that they come down. That as we take steps of faith towards engaging those folks and, and, and knocking down those walls, God, that your spirit would come in power to bring the healing, uh, to bring the, the life between loved ones that only you could bring. God, I pray for all those taking a step of faith today. Uh, maybe for the first time or maybe for the hundredth time, God. And I ask that you would meet them there. Uh, that, that even though their, their flesh is, is weak, your spirit is willing. God, that you would equip them, empower them uh, to walk by faith and not by sight. We praise you, God, for this season and pray that you would move mightily in our hearts now. In Jesus' name, amen.